0: You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan.
1: Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Dr. Liz Brook from Lexia Learning, who guides the educational approach and research strategy for Lexia's personalized literacy programs. Dr. Brook joined Lexia from the Florida Center for Reading Research in 2010, where she served as the Director of Interventions. Prior to FCRR, she worked as a speech and language pathologist, evaluating students with learning disabilities. She was also a Title I reading instructor and a first grade classroom teacher. Liz, thanks very much for joining us. Maybe we could start off, and you could talk a little bit about Lexia Learning, and then, uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to dig into the particulars of uh, one of the biggest issues that's, uh, you know, involved in all this madness with the pandemic, which is the COVID slide. So, yeah, start us off with a little bit about Lexia Learning and your work there.
0: Sure. Um, Lexia was founded over 35 years ago um, using grants from NICHD, and it was founded by a father who had a son who was a struggling reader. And even back in 1984, this father thought, how can I use technology um, to bring these principles that are based in the science of reading? to more students across the country who cannot read. And so we've been founded on research. Um, Efficacy remains um, foundational to everything we do. And we are continuing to use um, technology in an adaptive blended learning framework, um, which really the last 35 years has been preparing us (laughs) for this environment we're in. Um, currently. So we have both um, curriculum products as well as assessment products um, ranging from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. And of course, we have professional uh, learning services that support the implementation of those programs in the schools.
1: So you say with such a long history uh, and backgrounds, um, you were as much as anyone prepared for this moment, if anyone could have been prepared for for something like this. Talk a little bit about um, how your company has pivoted uh, as a result of this, and uh, what are some of the things, some of the insights you can pull out of um, this rapid transition to remote learning?
0: Absolutely. So um, much like the rest of the country, when we started to see Um, you know, things shifting really around March 13th or 15th, depending on what report you look at, that was kind of the, the true shift where most of the schools across the country, um, closed down or, um, shifted to remote learning or or digital learning. And so our company and Lexia Learning is, um, a Rosetta Stone company as well, um, for about six or seven years now. Um, And so both on the Rosetta Stone but Lexia side as well, we'll focus on Lexia right now, the literacy portion. um, We offered our programs, um, any customers that even had one license in one school, um, we offered them unlimited access for free to their whole district. Um, We made that offer across the country, and the reason I'm saying that we offered this to our current customers is we knew they were familiar with Lexia, um, but we wanted to expand their reach of the program, and we didn't want um, to approach new customers and, and, you know, confuse them or try to think we're trying to to take advantage of this situation. We certainly were open to having people come to us if they were interested, but we had about 10,000 schools take us up on that offer and um, really start using the program. I I actually think we even had more than 10,000 take us up on the offer. And then when we looked at the usage data, it was around 10,000 more active schools than we had pre pre-Covid.
1: Wow. And was it pre-pandemic? Um, was the your service uh, set up to support a remote environment?
0: Well, actually, because of the adaptive blended learning framework, um, and let me just quickly explain that for your listeners if they're not familiar. So a blended learning framework means there's a combination of online learning. So there's some portion done online learning, and typically, a teacher led portion done in a classroom or bricks and mortar is the official definition. And then we have um, very powerful data, which I can talk about, that connects those two. So there was always um, home use of some degree in the program because they were either using the online program or we have offline materials that they could do as homework. So even before um, COVID, there was some elements of using the program in a combination of in the classroom and at home, or also in before school and after school programs. So absolutely, that was not a transition for us, that was how our program was designed.
1: One of the other things that I found uh, interesting in having conversations about the switch is the involvement uh, of parents uh, in the kind of the education of their children. I can speak for myself that I, I had closer encounters um, with my kids' teachers over the past three months than I had over the, you know, their, the entirety of their education. How uh, has that changed uh, with your product?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So the um, offline materials, there's two types of offline materials that go along with what the students are doing online. We have something called Lexia lessons that are typically teacher led, but they're written in such a way that um, they're fairly scripted Um, And we do that because we know across the country that teachers are not always provided um, the education in the science of reading and may not have all the underlying knowledge to teach all of the various skills across the spectrum. So they're scripted in such a way that um, teachers typically deliver those. Um, So those were available. To parents and some teachers did ask the parents to deliver those however we saw many teachers delivering those um, remotely via zoom or Google classroom the second piece was really where the parents came in um, more explicitly which is called Lexia skill builders and those are designed the students have demonstrated mastery online of a particular skill let's say short vowels And in order for the students to build their automaticity, meaning they can quickly identify those short vowels and generalize that knowledge to a different setting. So be able to still do short vowels, not on the computer. We offer these worksheet type activities where they can practice. And so those skill builders became something that we knew based on the students performance should be able to do fairly independently, but have some parent involvement. So those activities were either um, sent via PDF or some um, schools actually printed out packets and mailed them home. Um, But then we also quickly pivoted, I, I mentioned that we pivoted in terms of a learn from home offer for our schools, but we very quickly Our customer success in our curriculum and assessment teams very quickly also pivoted and posted additional resources for parents around ideas of how to use the skill builders or other ideas of what they could do at home with their children.
1: Interesting. So there's been um, a lot of analysis of the spring as not really being successful Mm -hmm. in terms of the the transition. Uh, Some of the districts that I've spoken to consider a success that they were just able to get devices into the kids' hands and have a connection through the end of the year and not even think about um, assessment or any sort of learning goals. Uh, What has your experience been with districts uh, this spring? Is that that kind of accurate, or do you think it's a little... uh, overblown and that we should be giving some of these districts more credit than uh, they're getting.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it definitely varies across the country. We've seen everything from, um, you know, to your point, some districts didn't manage to get everybody connected or get everybody a device. And in fact, um, in one um, panel I was involved with, they were saying they don't even have the correct phone numbers. For a lot of the parents, so they were even trying to get the correct contact information, um, you know, for a good portion of this. So it ranges from those types of of concerns um, to schools that I've also heard schools that did have, whether it was Lexia or another program that did have, you know, one to one devices. They did use blended learning programs and. I wouldn't say, you know, flawlessly, but fairly seamlessly transitioned to remote learning because the students were familiar with the programs. Everybody had connectivity and and those issues were um, kind of solved before, because to be fair to these schools and districts, you know, the lights went out one one afternoon and, and they were told, you know, it'll be a couple of weeks or, you know, and, and it was, they never came back. <laughs> so right. um, there was the preparation um, and the knowledge, whether or not you used a completely blended learning program or even used something like Google classroom, there were different levels of experience and knowledge before COVID. And that I think really made a difference in terms of the, the learning goals and, You know, some some districts, it was about access and equitable access, and they couldn't focus on the learning goals. Um, Another big focus, which um, we help support as well with the the teacher-led portion, is that social-emotional connection. We couldn't go strictly digital and not have any interaction um, with students. I know I still, I taught first grade you know, many, many years ago now, but I, I still um, have s- such a, a, a solid memory of that connection with my class. Um, yeah. And so, you know, schools, a lot of schools focused on that element of it. Um, the piece that I would say about assessment is, you know, all states canceled their their end of year assessments. And so any program that is being considered for use in this time period, as well as in the fall, because we know we're going to have similar situations in the fall of some, you know, hybrid or or whatnot. But we need to have um, the ability to assess, identify skill gaps, and then be able to close those skill gaps um, for these students, so that the COVID slide on top of the summer slide, um, you know, does not really um, continue throughout the next school year.
1: Right, uh, and that leads up to my next question about the fall. Um, it seems like there are kind of a best case, uh, a worst case scenario, and then something in the middle, you know, worst case being, you know, complete remote um, has to continue. You know, the best case is we go back to the, to what was normal, which doesn't seem likely either. So it seems like it's going to be some sort of hybrid situation. Do you see uh, any advantages to that when it comes to personalized learning in terms of staggering students you know, to go in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, or uh, as you know, you pull out your crystal ball and look look forward. Uh, what what do you see there?
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. It's going to be on the continuum. Um, and I think um, a few things in terms of, you, you mentioned personalized learning, and I think that is um, potentially a positive of the the remote learning environment, because we know um, teachers weren't able to recreate the exact six-hour school day in the remote environment. Um, so therefore, they had to use their um, small group Zooms or their Um, even sometimes whole class um, meetings in a a very targeted way. Um, And so that I do think is a benefit because um, they were trying to to identify if they had a one on one Zoom or a small group again, how to personalize the instruction for those students versus teaching to the whole class. but I, I do think again that the key word here is flexibility. <laughs> yeah. Um. And well, I, I think there's two other keywords, but flexibility. We'll start with that one. Flexibility because even if um it you know they start with going back to school to um you know the hundred percent back to school or even the staggered back to school Monday you know Wednesday Friday. I, I I hope this doesn't happen, but there could be another surge and there could be another day where the lights go out and they're told not to come back. So whatever programs they pick and that they're learning and they're training their teachers on should have a flexibility. You know, I've heard it from bricks to clicks, from classroom to the cloud is kind of how I talk about it. But something that can seamlessly transition, um, From being in a physical room with the teacher to being in a remote environment, but still having a teacher presence, we can't go 100% digital and lose that human um, social interaction. Um, So flexibility is key. The two other ones keywords, though, and we talked a little bit about the assessment capabilities, we need something that will allow in in Lexia we have our embedded assessment without testing, which is capturing. Every click of the mouse or tap of the iPad and helping analyze and aggregate where the performance level of the students and maybe more importantly, now the skill gaps so that the teachers can target those skill gaps. So flexibility, assessment capabilities, and then efficacy, because there are so many programs out there that um, schools are being offered for free or, you know, the bargain basement prices, so to speak. Um, And we don't have time to waste on programs that don't work. These students have already been... um, challenged in their learning, and we actually now need programs that have been proven to make more than one year of growth for one year of instruction for these students. We need something that can accelerate and close the gaps, not only for our struggling readers, but all of our readers, because all students are going to have had some sort of learning loss, right? Some students will quickly recover from that. Or will have very minimal learning loss and then other students will have uh, the research on summer slide says it's roughly a month. um, Of learning loss, but we know um, both the NWEA and others who are predicting the COVID slide are showing uh, more significant losses, so I think flexibility. um, Assessment capabilities and efficacy are really the three key tools no matter what model you have, because yeah. it's going to, it it's probably going to change.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's just a constantly uh, evolving situation day to day almost. Yes. You, you mentioned earlier about um, your strategies early on where you offered your current customers um, access uh, to full access for every student, but not for New customers, I find that interesting um because there is a little bit of uh back and forth on what appears and I think is genuine to be you know the generosity of technology companies across the board and telco companies to assist people getting connected, but now there's some you know conversation about what happens when you know that trial period ends, which is now uh, a and then b. Looking forward to what most certainly will be uh, pretty drastic budget cuts um, for districts to enable anything, let alone um, technology and software. Where do you you see your strategy uh, with those aspects going forward?
0: yeah no it's um you know everybody's talking about the cares act and the gear funds and all of that but in relation to those are federal dollars which we know i believe make up only roughly 10 percent, i think of the school budgets and then the rest is state and local which to your point are are seeing some cuts um so schools do and that's why i was saying earlier i'm concerned because um some um, programs or companies are offering their products. Um, you know, they may have offered them for free during this period. And now they're offering, you know, very, very reduced prices, um, which would be appealing um, to every anybody who's facing tighter budgets. However, they aren't proven to work. Um, and so our approach um, and again, I, I want to be clear that we it's not that we're not working with with new schools and districts, we certainly are, in fact, um, more and more schools are are reaching out because we do have those things I mentioned. Um, both of our, our programs core five and, and power up which are elementary and secondary. Both have strong ratings on evidence for ESSA in terms of the rigor of the research, but then maybe more importantly, have large effect sizes um, of how impactful the intervention is. So, in um, the instruction, so I would say that our um, approach is to work with schools to look at their data to see pre-COVID, and we we have a robust um, research group at Lexia that is helping customers look at their data pre-COVID during COVID to see how many of their students still remained engaged their educators we had a surge in educator engagement looking at the data and still still see the progress that they made even during this and so um, schools and districts are looking at their own data and um, or those of neighboring schools, if they're new um, to Lexia and they're choosing to spend their money on um, a program that will work. And so that is our approach is really to show them their data, you know, the um, uh, show show me the money or whatever right. Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. says there we show them the data and um, that's how we um you know, help schools think about because we understand that their dollars are precious. And sure. so we want them to spend it on something that can be flexible for them, but maybe most importantly, can be effective at helping these students to continue to learn in this environment.
1: So you, you have had the opportunity to look at the data over mm-hmm. the past several weeks and months. What is your kind of Executive summary, and I hope it's hopeful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it is and it isn't. Um, I would say the um, data that we've seen, and we do, we have, um, you know, even pre-COVID, we were in about fourteen thousand schools across um, the country in some capacity, and then we've added additional schools um, during this, and more students. We did see a divide in terms of access, even though they had access to the program, they may not have had a device to log on. So we did when looking at a map across the United States, we did see um, pockets of the country where um, usage, student usage was low, and that was also connected with um, areas of low SES. Um, or where we had heard challenges around connectivity. So that supports the data around the digital divide. However, we will say that what we saw two things, one was an increase educator engagement because they were relying on the data because they didn't have other sources of data and they also didn't have the physical in-class observations. Um, they still had some op- observations via Zoom, but we saw a huge increase in educator um, use of the data, which is great. Um, And then we saw the students who were logging on were logging on for more minutes and making more progress. So learning Mm -hmm. more skills. um, So that is a positive. So when we can solve the digital divide issues, we saw that students were still learning. educators were finding the data helpful to specifically target skill gaps and again going back to that personalization we we really have to think about the quality of our um, instruction because we can't necessarily increase the quantity like we might do in a six hour school day, so it has to be really targeted explicit um, and and personalized to that student or a small group of students.
1: So maybe this spring, um, it was necessary to just stay connected or even get connected in the first mm-hmm. place. And that going forward in this, this school year, that, that districts have had that experience and the companies that provide those districts services have had that experience uh, to where we can uh, make improvement.
0: Right. And I think um, that's the other thing I I should add, that we also did offer our professional learning services um, Mm. for free to all of these schools. So that was our our customer success team and customer support. Um, That was a huge part of it. And absolutely, this was the learning period um, for those schools that hadn't used blended learning before or they had to have the, the professional learning for all their teachers They had to, to your point, parents. Um, And and I do think trying to figure out the right balance, because as we go back in the fall, you know, many, many offices are still um, encouraging work from home. So some parents may still be at home, but others may be going back to work. And so I do still think that is something that schools are, are working through is, How do they um, balance parent involvement um, versus teacher involvement? But this was really a a period of learning and growing and getting some things in place um, for the fall. And that's where I think some of those schools that were working, you know, they were on the far end of the spectrum of didn't even have the right, um, you know, parent phone numbers in in some cases. They, they may be um, still struggling with some of that learning, but I, I am hopeful um, for the fall, because I think there's there's pros and cons that have have come out of this, and I think the idea of personalized learning and um, allowing the students. Um, you know, to learn potentially at their own pace and and path while still engaging with the teacher and still engaging with their peers and having that blended approach is um, going to be really impactful for these students.
1: Well, that said, I I love to finish on a a glass half full, (laughs) especially (laughs) especially during these times. So Liz, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
0: Sure. Thanks for having me, Kevin.
1: And I'd like to thank the listeners for, for tuning in here and hope you come for the next episode of remote possibilities this is kevin hogan